Have you ever tried to uh, rip your mask off and you pulled this little thing off the edge? Anybody ever done that? That's what you just saw happen. And uh, I uh, hope it's all working well. But uh, anyway, it's great to see everybody here today. We miss our youth, but we're excited. They're doing great and uh, keep praying for them. We're believing great things here as a result of this weekend. You know, at 9 o'clock, we have our unplugged service. In fact, we have four services every Sunday, as you heard Caleb talk about earlier. And uh, I just want to kind of put a, uh, uh, an encouragement. If you ever find yourself needing to come to a 9 o'clock service, if you're serving at 10 or you need to come a little earlier, join us in the Activity Center. We're having a great time just two weeks in, and uh, we're really enjoying a different vibe, a different uh, style service, uh, same message. But that's at 9 o'clock. Then at 10 o'clock, we meet live here. Also, we're online. Lots of people worshiping online. Hello to all of our uh, church family that's online. That's kind of like a uh, uh, special uh, separate congregation almost even and of itself. So uh, we really uh, value each and every one of you that are listening uh, in every single week. And then, of course, uh, traditions in the chapel uh, is full of folks that uh, really love more of a traditional uh, approach to uh, worship, traditional hymns, that kind of thing. Uh, in addition to all the things that happen for kids and for youth and Batania, our Spanish congregation, uh, our deaf congregation, and our Marshall Islands congregation, uh, BCA Marshallese. So lots of things going on every single Sunday. We're in this series on Live, Love, Lead Like Jesus. And I've said uh, last week, I'll say it again, this is really the vision of our church is that people will say, hey, I know so-and-so. They go down to BCA. They are authentic. They love. They live. They lead like Jesus. They may not use those words, but they, they'll think of you and say they are the real deal. When it comes to a, a Christian who really is a follower of Jesus, that's who they are. And that's my prayer for my life, for your life, for our entire church. Each week we're looking at this idea of live, love, lead and kind of looking at different scriptures and kind of uh, like a prism, you know, moving it around, looking at it from different angles. And then we're also looking at one of the Ten Commandments. Last week we talked about uh, one God, there's only one. Today we're going to look at no idols and we're going to do that here in just a couple of moments. But let's take a few moments and just talk about what it means to live, love, and lead like Jesus. When I think of living like Jesus, I can't help but think of two really big words for me. This is me talking to me. I need to be a disciple of Jesus. I need to be a follower of Jesus. As a disciple, I learn from him. I'm a student of him. And as a follower, I am trying to replicate his life. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so there are a few verses that jump out. In fact, there's several. I'm going to look at just a couple here today. Philippians 1.27 says, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Our conduct and our character need to align. Our, our behavior and our beliefs need to align. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I've titled this message, Present and Represent Christ. Am I offering to a lost and dying world? Am I offering to anybody around me? Am I presenting a clear picture of what it means to be a Christ follower? Am I representing Jesus Christ really, really well? Or is it cloudy and confusing and chaotic? There needs to be clarity. I also love 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live your life in such a way that you draw even people that are maybe enemies to the faith to Christ because you are living, loving, and leading like Jesus. It's so, so important. Now, what does it not mean to live, love, and lead like Jesus? 
Well, let's say you go down to QFC and it says you got to wear a mask and, and you walk in there and you don't wear a mask and you start cussing out uh, the clerk at the front door. How many know that would be bad if you're wearing Live, Love, Lead, especially? And then there's one dozen eggs and you elbow the lady out of the way to get it for yourself. And then there's just one roll of toilet paper and you see some dude getting it and you literally run and you do a full-length diving tackle and you steal it back from him. And then you go to the checkout stand and you elbow way to the front of the line while wearing Live, Love, Lead. How many know that's not the idea? You say, Rob, you're being facetious. Well, yeah, maybe just a little. Let's put it this way. Let's say you're at work. And whether you work in an office, whether you work in a school, whether you work out in the field, whatever, whatever it looks like, people there know that you're a Christian. But they also know you're the biggest gossip in in the company. They also know that you're, you're pretty disrespectful. You're, you're pretty mean-spirited. You're pretty divisive. That's not what living, loving, and leading like Jesus is either. What does it mean to live, love, and lead? Well, to live like Jesus, I think, is beautifully described in 1 John 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Now, the hard part is for me to live up to that, step up to that, and to live that out. If you look at the larger context of 1 John chapter 2, you see words like this. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. I need to be a student of the commands, not just the big ten commandments, but all the commands of the New Testament. I need to really put into practice what Jesus, I need to be a student, a disciple of Jesus Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Liar, liar. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Verse 8, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother and sister is still in darkness. The very end, they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Friends, we are children of the light. We are representations of Jesus. We are to present Jesus. We are to be a living epistle that people can read and say that's what it means to be Christian. We're to be barriers, not barriers, but bridges to Christ. Don't be a barrier, be a bridge. Notice what it says in Luke 6.46. These are all so convicting. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? If we're going to live like Jesus, we need to be students Faithful, faithful students of what it means to be like Jesus. You know, if we're learning something at school, if we're learning a new skill at work, if we're learning anything anywhere, um, and we study, we study, we get after it, we need to be most focused on being a student, a follower of Jesus Christ. Why do so many Christians not stop and ask, how can I better live, love, and lead in this situation? Why do so many Christians think it's okay to hurl hate, disseminate disrespect, communicate caustically, volley vitriol, attack with anger? Is it a lack of sanctification? Probably. Is it spiritual maturity? Yeah. Is it uh, a lack of discipleship? For sure. Is it maybe because they're not saved? You know, the Bible talks about that. Not everybody who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And yet the Bible is clear that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we accept Christ as Savior but refuse to be discipled, refuse to grow, refuse to mature, to, be, to refuse to become more and more and more like Jesus, refuse to live like him, love like him, and lead like him, what does that say about the sincerity of our commitment? And this is how I talk to myself, so you're just kind of listening in, and you can apply it however you will. I read an author by the name of Ryan Holiday. He actually is a student of Stoicism, and he said something uh, the other day that just kind of jumped out to me because a lot of times it mirrors the Scripture. Anger is not impressive or tough. It's a mistake, he wrote. It's weakness. That's what the Stoics say. And I would add it's also unchristian. We are not to let the sun go down on our anger. So how can we be different? That's the point. How can we be more like Christ? The world may be going the way of anger and hate and, uh, and uh, vengeance. How can we be different? How can we live, love, and lead like Jesus? What is God saying to you today, right here, right now? What is God saying to you? I've been asking myself this question all week. It's your turn. What is God saying to you about how you can live more like Jesus? I encounter people, many people say, I am so mad at the world right now. I'm so mad at this person. I'm so mad at this politician. I'm so mad at this party. I'm so mad at the government. I'm so mad about this. They go on and on. And it almost sounds, as I listen and talk and try to work with people, that love is conditional, mercy is conditional, grace is conditional, kindness is conditional, respect is conditional. And yet the Bible teaches all of that is unconditional. It's easy to love people that are easy to love, but what about people that are really hard to love? Anybody ever, ever had anybody even remotely hard to love in your life? Let me see your hand. <laughs> One, two, three, everybody. Yeah. We all can relate to that. See, that's where, that's where we need the spirit of the living Christ in us flowing through us. That's where authenticity shows itself vibrantly. I am serious about this Jesus thing. I want to live like him, love like him. And lead like him. And as we do, it will flow out of our life and we will be a clear presentation and representation of what it means to be Christian. Mercy is unconditional. Love is unconditional. Respect is unconditional. Lord, help us, help us, help us. What does it mean to love like Jesus? You know, we said last week that Jesus' love is Calvary love, not casual love. It's, it's the love he showed on the cross where he went and died for the sins of the world. That's the love Jesus has called us to. We may not have to die for others, but he wants us to live for others, to live and love and serve and build up and encourage other people, people that are easy to love and people that are harder to love and everybody in between. Jesus went to the cross to die for his, his family, his friends, uh, you know, his acquaintances, his enemies. He calls us to be authentic and real and vibrant in our faith. And that takes the spirit of the living God flourishing in us where we pray every day, Lord, may you be seen, not me. May you flourish and flow out of my life, not my human carnality. 1 Corinthians 13 is one of those great, great love chapters, and you've read it many, many times. But this is a picture of agape love. And the first three verses really kind of form a little bit of an equation, as you see at the top there. If I'm really, really super spiritual, it says in verses 1 through 3, but I don't have love, then I'm actually a zero, a nothing. 
It says, if I speak like angels and, and uh, you know, have all sorts of prophecies and predict the future and even throw my body on the flames as a martyr, if I do all those things but I hate my brother, I don't have love, it's worthless. It's absolutely worthless. And then in verses 4 uh, through 7, you know, we see 13 in 1 Corinthians 13. That's how I remember it. There's 13 different demonstrations or applications or exhibits of what love looks like. Love must be patient and kind and, and uh, forgiving and always uh, believes and always trusts and, and is always truthful. You know, there's 13 different applications there. And it's good for us to regularly read through that list and say, am I demonstrating this very, very clearly in my marriage with my kids, with my extended family, with my neighbors, work associates, and with my enemies. That's what it means to love like Jesus. And then the last few verses, verses 8 through 13, 8, 8 through 13 it says the greatest of these is love. The greatest. The world values all sorts of things. Many, many people value different things, but what does God value? He values love. If you read through the Scripture as you do and as I do, the one thing we come away with is, a, is the realization that it is a big deal to love others unconditionally. Calvary kind of love. God, may we be known as people who love like Jesus loved. May we be a clear presentation, a clear representation. Ask yourself right now, how can I love more like Jesus? How can I live more like Jesus. And finally, how can I lead more like Jesus? You know, how do you spell lead like Jesus? <laughs> S-E-R-V-A-N-T or S-E-R-V-E. You pick the word servant, serve. That's the leadership style that Jesus demonstrates. And I, I think of several key scriptures, many in fact, but one key category of scripture that always, always rings true to me uh, when I think of what it means to lead like Jesus are the kingdom paradox statements. He said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, there's three of them, you need to be servant. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to find life, lose it in me. He said, this is what it means to lead like Jesus leads. It is completely upside down from the way the world thinks. Actually, it's right side up. Look at just a, a verse for each. You'll find them in many of the Gospels. Matthew 20 uh, says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Who wants to be first must be last, uh, be slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. If you want to be first, be last. If anybody wants to be first, he must be very last and a servant to all. Put others first. Humble yourself. Get rid of hubris. Finally, if you want to find life, lose it. Matthew chapter 10, if anyone does not take up his cross and follow me, take up his cross, put selfishness on that cross, crucify self-centeredness. If anyone doesn't do that, he cannot follow me. I was thinking of just kind of applying this to my own life here this week, and I, and I jotted down a few things that I wanted to share with you. We know these things to be true, but I want you just to let this soak and saturate and kind of simmer you know, simmer in it a little bit here today. First of all, life is short. We need to get this live, love, lead right. If you knew you had seven hours to live, seven days to live, seven weeks to live, seven months to live, even seven years to live, 
I guarantee you, you'd get your house in order. You would hustle, 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 double hustle to make sure the main thing is the main thing is the main thing is the main thing. And for us as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus, there is nothing more important in all the world than Jesus. And we want to live like him and love like him and lead like him. And how can we do it better in our marriages and in our families and and in our uh, neighborhoods and schools and larger circles of influence? How can we do that authentically? How can we present and represent really, really clearly? You know, uh, this past 10 days, we've had seven uh, deaths, either in our church or or, uh, uh, people that I've been connected with one way, shape, or form. Five in our church family. And then our general superintendent from uh, a few years ago passed away. Uh, And then, ironically, uh, I I received a call from uh, this lady a few times over the last 40 years. But I got a call this past week from Jean, who I worked with out of high school at the bank 40 years ago. Can you say 40 years ago? Uh, yeah, right out of high school for five years, I worked at the bank, put myself through college, and she's called me a couple of times. She called me this week, said, Rob, I wanted you to know so-and-so that we worked with passed away. And I said, Jean, it is so nice to hear from you. What a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I'm 90 years old now. <laughs> she wasn't 90 when we worked together at the bank. And neither was I, for that matter. Um, but it was wonderful to talk with her, and she shared about this person that, that we worked with, and I was trying to remember, 40 years is a long time. Uh, anybody forget things five years ago sometimes? Uh, so I was trying to kind of weave it all together. But, you know, I, I came away from just kind of working with our staff on the five uh, funerals within our church and then the others, and I just kind of came away with another reminder. You know, during December I did a couple of funerals. Um, life is short. Life is short. You know, the Romans had this saying, memento mori, and the emperors would ride into town after a big victory, and they would have a slave on the back repeating a phrase, memento mori, which means, remember, tomorrow you could die. Whoa! It reminded them of their um, mortality. And I think the application for you and me today is we just need to remind ourselves that life is so short. Every morning of every day, literally pray, God, may I maximize this day for kingdom impact. May I live, love, and lead like Jesus. So, so important. Life is short. Get it right. Life is hard. Keep your mind right. I think this is so important. I've read a couple of books recently. You see on screen, the first one is Trevor Moad. Uh, It takes what it takes. Let's go ahead to the next slide there if you can. And uh, ironically, this is not a Christian book, but this is the mental coach for Russell Wilson. Those of you that follow Russell know that he's uh, kind of a positive dude. And uh, Trevor died last September, which was a, a tough thing. His dad was also kind of in uh, the same kind of work, and he died at an early age. Uh, it's not a Christian book, a Bible book, but uh, it's just a, a book of overcoming and thinking the right way. The book on the right, of course, is a Christian book. Craig, uh, Craig's book is uh, lots of Bible in there. And just a fresh reminder that we become what we think. You know, and the Bible says in Philippians 4, 8, you know, You know, whatsoever things are, what does it say there? Whatsoever things are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. 
those six things. Think on these things. And if there's some things that don't fit into those six categories, I'd encourage you to kind of jettison them out of your, your mentality. We, we need to think right about life. And when it comes to all the different things that are happening, you can be drawn off, pulled off, diverted off course so easy. But may I encourage you here today, friends, we need to live, love, and lead. That needs to be the main thing. That needs to be the thing that dominates our thinking in our life. And that is exactly what dominates us as a church. There are so many other things that we can be deluded, sucked into, diverted into. And believe me, I hear from people all the time. We have got to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. Can I hear a big amen to that? There's nothing more important in all the world than Jesus. And then the last application I jotted down just for myself here, and I'm going to share it with you, is life is important. I need to live, love, and lead for maximum impact. Life is just too important. Life is too important. People are watching you. They're watching me. You know, I've thought this my whole life. I grew up as a pastor's kid, so you kind of feel a little bit of that. And then I became a pastor, and I kind of felt, you know, certainly feel it there. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a husband, as uh, a dad, and now as a grandpa, uh, and as a leader of staff, and so on and so forth, you know, you, you just realize you, you're not going to be perfect. None of us are. But that's not the idea. Am I growing? Am I moving forward? Am I trying to be the person Jesus Christ wants me to be? Is it really, really, really important to me to live, love, and lead? And it either is or isn't. And if it isn't, it needs to be. And if it is, keep going with that. I received an uh, email from one of my pace setters. This is a, a group of uh, young guys that I meet with uh, every month in our church. And he said, Rob, I don't know where I first heard this, but this quote really resonates with what we've been talking about uh, in pace setters. And, and I, I thought it really fit here. It says this, how long are you going to continue to wait before you demand the best of yourself? I like that. How long are we going to wait until we demand of ourselves? You know what? Today and in the future, like never before in my life, my number one goal is to live, love, and lead like Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Redeemer. Like never before, I want to take it to a new level. Tom, who attends traditions, boom, right over there, that corner of our building, every single Sunday, sent me an email. He said, Rob, here's some things that kind of jumped out to me from your sermon last week. And one thing he said that resonated with him, and I'm going to share it again because I think uh, it's so important. He said, a lost and dying world is relying on me to share Christ clearly. And it's so important. I need to present and represent Jesus well. So I need to watch my words, watch my attitudes and thoughts as I think I'm going to become. Certainly my behavior, my actions, my conduct. So our vision as a church, I shared this in detail last week, and I'm going to just highlight it now. If you're interested in more detail, you can go back uh, to last week. But live, love, and lead. I need to live in the center of three circles. Uh, this is my conviction for me, for our church. I need to live in the center of three circles. That's the live, love, lead. And the three big circles in the Venn diagram are biblical morality. That's the Ten Commandments that we're walking through here uh, this month and the eight Beatitudes we talked about last fall. 
But there are also biblical purpose, purposes. The, the great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, Jesus said. And then the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. Uh, I like to say it, I can't use my biblical morality as a billy club and just beat people into submission. I need to somehow become a bridge to people and help lead them to Christ. I got to try to wrestle with that. And then biblical virtues is the third big circle, and that's the whole ethic of love. 1 Corinthians 13, you know, John talks about, they will know you are my disciples by your love, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. They're in Galatians, so much in the Bible. And so I think to myself, I need to believe deeply. I need to know what I believe and believe what I know. I need to reach passionately, and I need to love fiercely. And this is my biblical worldview. I want to encourage you to adopt it as your own or uh, develop your own. But this is the vision of our church. Each week I want us to look through the lens of one of the Ten Commandments and let that commandment be a little bit of a spotlight on our heart to determine are we on track or off track with regard to building the foundation Jesus built so that we can live, love, and lead like he did. The Ten Commandments were vitally important to Jesus, obviously to Moses, but, but as much so to Jesus. He built his entire life and ministry on it. And then upon that foundation, he, he uh, taught and developed the eight Beatitudes and, you know, the great uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew, all flow from that. It's just so important. And so today we want to look at, uh, uh, at another commandment. You know, last week I talked about how Moses came down. We always read with two tablets, and even though we're not sure exactly what was on each tablet, I like to look at it this way. You know, the first tablet is all about loving God. And, uh, you know, there's one God, there's no idols, don't misuse God's name, keep the Sabbath holy. That's the first four of the Big Ten, Ten Commandments. And it's all about loving God. And the second six are all about loving other people. Interestingly, Jesus was asked, what's the most important command in all the Bible? He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbors yourself. Love God, love people. Uh, we see it from Genesis through Revelations, essentially. Uh, and so here we see, you know, the big ten, and we're kind of working our way through uh, all uh, ten of these as we, as we make our way through. You know, the first one, one God, is so, so important because the Israelites lived at a time where they just came out of Egypt where they had at least 24 gods and they're on their way to Canaan where they had at least 234 gods and God said, wait, 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 no, 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 that's not going to happen. There's one God, I'm it, you're my people, I'm your God, end of story. Don't get distracted by all these other things, which really leads us into today's focus on commandment number two and that is have no idols. You know, have no idols. I want us to think about that for a moment. In Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, it says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me and showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Notice there are three, three parts to commandment number two. There's the precept, which is verse number four. You know, don't have any idols. And then there's the penalty. If you don't do this, you're going to be punished. All through the Old Testament especially and even in the New Testament, God says if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you don't obey, you'll be cursed. Well, if we disobey, there's going to be problems. But verse number 6 says, and here's the prize, if we follow him, we're going to be blessed. 
What does it say there? Showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not have idols. In Leviticus chapter 26, 1, it says, do not make idols or set up an image of sacred stone for yourself or do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Isaiah 42, 8, this is a good one. I am the Lord, this is my name. I will not give my glory to another or praise to idols. God is not willing to share first place. There's only one throne in your heart and Jesus should be the only one that's on it. There's only one throne in my heart. There's only one king, only room for one Lord, and it must be Jesus. But the question is, is it? That's what we're talking about here today. If I were to give you this commandment in my own words, it would go like this. Nothing should steal me away from God. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing should steal me away from God. We touched on this a little bit last week when we talked about having other gods and and, and really kind of flows right into idolatry. You know, what are the things that people prop up as most important in their life? You can make this list as easy as I can, obviously. I mean, sex, money, pleasure, self, you know, addictions of one kind or another. You know, we could just kind of go on and on and on talking about the kinds of things that the people run after and, and, and we're all susceptible to it. And we all have to ask ourselves, is anything vying for first place in my life? and pushing Jesus off the throne of my heart. I mean, that's an important thing to ask ourselves on a regular, regular basis. Evaluate it clearly. What is pushing Jesus to the side? Is there anything? If not, good. If so, that's a problem. Um, My wife and I have had the privilege of traveling to uh, Italy on really quite a few occasions. We've done a missions trip there. We've been on a couple of, holy, led a couple of Holy Land trips that have gone uh, through Italy. Our uh, second son, Quinn, has been stationed in Vicenza, Italy for the past three years. He goes to Colorado this week. Great to have him closer to home. But uh, the beautiful thing is we've been able to visit uh, Italy on uh, several different occasions. And, uh, you know, we've really, really enjoyed it. And uh, my wife is uh, really interested in Renaissance art, and so she ordered a class for us to watch at night on our TV that has 750 million slides. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> now, I'm not an aficionado on Renaissance art. How many uh, aficionados on Renaissance arts do we have? Okay, Rob. Rob's one of them right there. Anybody that has any questions, talk to Rob Hallam right after church. Uh, yeah, I'm not an aficionado on it. Uh, Lisa's really, really interested. But, you know, as we've gotten into it, I've become more interested. Uh, I'm really interested in the people, really interested in the history, the stories. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, depending on who's dating you follow, 15th and 16th century, uh, anchored in Florence, basically the epicenter of Renaissance uh, art and the Renaissance period, and names that you know about, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, Raphael, Donatello, Botticelli, Corrigio, Corrigio. These are great names for your future children, those of you that are about ready to have kids. But one of the stories that jumped out to me, just ble- leapt off the page, was a story of a Dominican friar, Girolamo Savonarola. Savonarola. He lived 1452 to 1498. What is that, 46 years? 
He served and worked in Florence, Italy. And what he's known for, largely, is he focused on objects. This is where I tie it in to the second commandment. He focused on objects that might tempt one to sin. Immoral objects like vanity items, such as mirrors and cosmetics. How many of you guys looked in a mirror this morning? Not you women, but you guys. Because looking at some of you guys, you need to look in a mirror more often. (laughs) And cosmetics, some of you guys need to start using some. Um, if you didn't laugh, you have a bad sense of humor because that was actually quite funny. Um, Mirrors, cosmetics, fine dresses, playing cards, musical instruments, all of these were targeted by Savonarola. Savonarola, Savonarola. Um, They were all deemed immoral. Other certain books, uh, manuscripts of secular songs, artworks including paintings and sculptures. And in February the 7th, 1497, we read from history that an event occurred called the Bonfire of the Vanities. Some of you have heard about this and know all about it. Bonfire of the Vanities. And it's where all these objects were brought together and burned. And uh, Friar Savonarola uh, instigated all this. And uh, a lot of what he did was quite thought-provoking and good, but he also kind of got over his skis a little bit and got himself in trouble. And the Pope got upset with him and papal authority got upset with him. And uh, he eventually was excommunicated. He was hung on a cross and he was burned in the Piazza della Signoria where he did the original bonfire. How many would say that's a tough way to go? And uh, he inspired Martin Luther, which is interesting, Uh, in some ways, but he also was deemed a heretic. And, uh, you know, he did some things that were good and some things that were not that good. And here's the application. As I was listening to that uh, teacher uh, on our uh, Udemy class, kind of teach us through it, you know, I was also Googling the story of the Dominican friar and the application I made to my own life, and I want to encourage you to make to yours, is what in my life needs to be burned or destroyed, figuratively speaking? Many people will say nothing because they won't even think about it. But for those of us that think about it, what's out of order? What's out of place? What has assumed first place in my life? What, what is preeminent instead of Christ? You know, what is stealing me away from God? You know, what idols have crept in and crept up and usurped a position that they shouldn't? There are 14 Old Testament synonyms and words for idols used uh, in Scripture. Some are idols of gold, some are of silver, some are images carved from stone or wood, metal or statuary. Some are pictures. And the Bible over and over says, don't allow these to become God. Don't allow these to become an idol. Don't allow these to take God's place in your life. You know, these scripture verses are not meant to stifle artistic uh, output. I mean, just study, uh, you know, the construction of the tabernacle and the temple. There are so many ornate items, you know, in the temple, uh, in the tabernacle. Obviously, God ordains that kind of thing. But if any of those things take God's place, If any of those things take God's place, 
That's the problem. The Bible describes idolatry as spiritual adultery. We think of the golden calf in Exodus as a major example. One commentator said this about idolatry. What is rising up as a competitor and rivaling the honor, glory, and esteem due only the Lord? Well said. So, if I am going to live, love, and lead like Jesus, I need to take a step back. I need to look through the lens of commandment number one and commandment number two and ask myself the question, evaluate myself ruthlessly, vigorously be honest with myself and ask, is there anything in my life that is eroding my foundation, that is pulling me away, that has trying to push itself onto the throne of my heart and push Jesus off? And only you can answer that for you. And only I can answer that for me. And I ask you today to think about it thoroughly. What is rising up as a competitor? What is keeping you from having the foundation Jesus had so that you can live the life Jesus lived and live, love, and lead like Jesus? Take a look at your time, your money, your priorities, your service to other people, your worship to God. That's a great place to start to see, am I on track with where God wants me to be? Think about the things you think about, what dominates your mind, what captures your heart, what holds you captive. And then spend some time alone with Christ and say, Lord, forgive me of my waywardness and sin. Help me get back on track. I want to love, uh, live, love, and lead uh, like Jesus, like never, ever before. And I want to put you first. I want you to be preeminent in every, every area of my life. I close with two questions. Ask yourself, how do I need to change and where do I need to grow to live, love, and lead better than ever? And secondly, am I devoted to the one true God without any idols in my life? Is my life well-ordered, built on that solid foundation of Christ? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Then we're going to sing a final song. And uh, our prayer team will come forward. If we can pray with you, we would love to. But let's just take a moment. Lord, right now we pray that you will speak to every one of our hearts. Lord, I pray that we will ruthlessly and vigorously and rigorously just evaluate our own heart and, and make any course corrections we need to to get on track and make the rest of our life the best of our life as it pertains to living, loving, and leading like Jesus more than ever before. May we not be guilty of getting sidetracked or allowing things to rival you in our life. But may we keep the main thing the main thing, and that is Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. I pray for all my friends. There's so much going on in life, so many things that can get us distracted. But I pray, God, that you will help us collectively and individually dial in carefully with you. If you're here today and you've not committed your life to Jesus, I invite you to do that like so many of us have. And you can do that by just simply praying, Lord, come into my life, forgive my sins. If you do pray that prayer, we'd love for you to tell one of our prayer team members at the front here about it. Fill out one of those connection cards. Lord, as we leave this place in just a moment, go with us in your favor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing and then we'll be dismissed.